Good evening, Shavua Tov. We're still on 25A. We're at the words, Vehechi Dami Tsoa Kecheres. So that's, <clears throat> before the lines get really wide, that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4. 1, 2, 3, 4 lines down. 4 lines from right before the lines get really wide. Um, what is the case of feces that are like earthenware? When we're talking about um, both urine and feces, how how gone do they need to be in order to be able to pray next to them? And so one of the things we we're talking about is that once feces dry out, it's actually not a problem to daven near them anymore. So one of the one of the guidelines that we learned about was that it has to be like earthenware. So now we're wondering, what does that mean? It's like earthenware. What does that mean when we say feces like earthenware? says in the name of It means that you can throw it and it does not crumble. So if you throw it and it does not crumble, that means it still has a little bit of moisture in it. And um, if it still has that little bit of moisture in it, you cannot pray near it. Vikad Amri, and some say it means Kozman you could roll it and it does not crumble. So that means it's, again, it has that moisture, it still has some moisture in it, and you couldn't pray again, pray, um, and you could not pray next to it. So those are two different opinions, as what this means, like earthenware, that it's still prohibited to pray next to it according to Rabba Bar Rav Huna. In the name of Rav. Amar Ravina, Ravina says, I was standing in front of Rav Yehuda from Difti. I'm sorry, he saw that there was feces. Amar Lee, and he said to me, Go and look, go see, that, go see whether its um, surface has become hard or not. So we see that that's what he felt was the determining guideline to decide if you can pray next to it or not. And some say, This is what he said to him, See if there are cracks in it. And it would seem that that's what he felt would have been the determining factor in whether you can dive next to it or not. So what is the final conclusion? What is the halachic conclusion to, to what, what point are you, at what point in the urine or the feces um, state, are you allowed to pray next to it? Itmar, it was stated. Soa kacheres, um, feces like earthenware. Amemar amar asura, umarzutra amar muteras. Amemar says you're still prohibited to pray next to it, whereas Marzutra said you're allowed to. Omar Rava, Rava explains, Hilchasa, the halacha is, Jewish law says, Soa kacheres asura, that feces like earthenware is prohibited. Umar aglayim, whereas urine, if it still is wet enough that it can wet something else by touching it, it's still prohibited to pray next to it. So they asked on this. They asked on Rava's ruling. When it comes to urine, as long as it wets something else, is able to wet something else, it's prohibited to pray next to it. Whereas... If it became absorbed or completely dried out, then you can pray next to it. My love, nivlu dumya diyavshuna. Wouldn't the, that mean then that the absorb being absorbed or drying out would be similar? My yavshu de in the case of drying out, it's where it's 
it, you can no longer see any of its presence. So too, when it's absorbed, we're referring to where you can no longer see any of its presence. But the implication would be that if 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 the if the if you could still see the stain, you could still see some of the urine's presence, then you would not be allowed to pray next to it. And the inference would be is that that's even true, even if the urine would no longer be able to wet something else that touched it. So we seem to see a contradiction or a, uh, a brysa that seems to go against Rava. But now we're going to say that the way we just explained that brysa was wrong. But according to your reasoning, look at the very beginning of that brysa, which said... If it wets something else, it's prohibited. But the inference of the first part of the price would be, but if the stain, if its presence is still noticeable, it would be allowed as long as it does not wet something that it touches. It cannot wet something that it touches. So really this brysa, the implication can go either way, depending if you're looking at the beginning of it or the end of it. So... We don't really have a, dis, uh, a proof against Rava. We cannot learn one way or the other from the Brisa because it seems to have complete competing, contradicting implications. Okay, so now we're going to continue talking about the case of urine. Lema Kitanai. Lema Kitanai. So let us say that this argument about the trace still being noticeable, whether that would, whether that is the guideline as to when it's prohibited versus permitted to daven next to it. Let's say that this is a kitanoi. Let's say that this is like a machlokes tanoim, a um, a dispute between sages of the Mishnah's period. Kli, so now we're going to quote a brysa. Kli shenishbechu, which is from the Mishnah's period. Kli shenishbechu mimeno meiraglayim. You had a vessel that fell from it urine, so it, was, it had been holding urine. Um, we're not going to focus in on that part. Also, likrach kriya shma konegdo. You're not allowed to say shma next to it. Umeiraglayim atzman shenishbechu. When it comes to urine itself that fell, nivlu umotar. If it absorbed into the ground, then you're allowed to pray next to it. Lo nivru. However, if you did not absorb into the ground, Oster, it's prohibited to play, pray next to it. Rabbi Yossi says, He says that you're only not allowed to pray next to it if it wets something else when it touches it. If it's so such a, it's um, if it's able to wet something else. So my Tanakama. So now, what did the Tanakama, the first opinion, um, in the Brisa? Um, who differentiated between absorbed and not, what did that mean exactly? If he means that it got so absorbed that it cannot moisten something else, if it touches it, and low nivlu, and in a case where it would not, where it's not considered absorbed is where it does, is matpichin, is in a case where it would, um, it would moisten something else if it touched it. But also Rabiosi, and then Rabiosi, the second opinion in the rise that comes and says, that if it still could moisten something, then it's prohibited to pray next to it. Then the inference would be Harashuma, Nikar, Shari, but if its stain is still noticeable, if its trace is still noticeable, 
then it's going to be allowed. Hainutanakama, that would then mean that the first opinion and Rabiosi are saying exactly the same thing. So obviously we're not understanding the first opinion correctly. Ella, rather it must be the first opinion that differentiates between absorbed and not and not absorbed is nivlu the ein rishumanikar. When it's absorbed, it means that its trace is no longer recognizable. Low nivlu, and when we talk about it not being absorbed, that's the rishumanikar. That's where you can still see the trace of it. And we differentiate between those two cases whether the trace is still noticeable or not. For and the Rabbiosi comes to tell us, calls man that it's only if if it can moisten something else that it's prohibited to pray next to it. The implication being that even if it still has a trace that's recognizable, it would still be permitted to pray next to it as long as it cannot moisten. So we see then that this whole concept of the trace being noticeable um, that we talked about is really a machlokis, a dispute between um, two scholars in a baraisa. So we answer low, no, that is not the case. Really, both of those opinions, or everybody holds, that as long as it moistens something else, it's prohibited. But if it's traces um, still recognizable, it's still that's fine. Everybody would agree with it. But then, how do you understand the machlokes, the dispute between Rabiosi and the first opinion? Now we're on page 25b. Here, we're talking about um, if it's wet enough to not just moisten one thing, but the thing that, that touches it then becomes wet, is then gets so wet that it's able to then moisten a second thing, or I guess, a, a, yeah, the thing, the next thing. That's where the machlokis lies. That is the dispute between the first opinion and Rabbi Yossi. One says that... Um, that if it can wet one thing, but that that second thing cannot wet a third, then you're allowed to pray next to it. And one says no. Um, even as long if if it can wet one thing, another thing, meaning if the urine can wet something else, then it's still a problem. Then it's still a problem, even if it cannot wet a third thing. Meaning even if the thing that it touched cannot wet a third thing. So that would be the machlokas, that is what the dispute is. So we don't really see, we don't have proof one way or the other as to what exactly the the Brisa's machlokas is, the dispute in the Brisa is. Okay, now we're going to start discussing a new part of the Mishnah. Yorad litbolim yacholalos, we're talking about if you went into the mikvah, into the ritual pool, and... Um, right before the time to say Shema has come, then the words of the Mishnah are that if he has time to get up, to come out of the mikvah and cover himself up, and say the Shema before the sun rises, then he should do so. And if he cannot come out and cover himself up before the sun rises, then he should cover himself with the water and say Shema inside of the mikvah. But what do we see here? Lema tana stama Lazar. Let us say that the Mishnah, um, the Mishnah's anonymous ruling is like Rabbi Elazar. As you may recall, we had a dispute as to when is the, when is the time for Shema. Um, we had Rabbi Eliezer, who held that you have to say Shema by sunrise. Then we had 
Um, Rabbi Yoshua, that says you say it till the end of three hours, right? Till the end of the third hour of the morning or of the day. So what we're saying is, is from the fact that the Mishnah just almost takes for granted that the time to say Shema is sunrise. So obviously this mission, the anonymous ruling of this Mishnah would seem to be paskining, deciding the halacha like Rebbe Eliezer, that you have to say Shema by sunrise, which would make life very difficult for us. The Amr Adhanei who says that you should have to, that you only have until sunrise to say Shema. But we answer, no, no, we could say that we're even going like Rebbe Yeshua. That in reality you have until the end of the third hour to say Shema in the morning. Vidilma kevasikin. Yet our Mishnah is referring to somebody that does it like the vasikin, which are the devoted ones. And as we said earlier, is that even though the right time for Shema, you may be able to say Shema until the th end of the third hour. Devoted people say it with sunrise. So we're referring to somebody that perhaps has a. Perhaps we're referring to someone here that has the general custom of saying it by sunrise, and that's who we are referring to. The devout ones, um, they would finish saying Shema with sunrise. Okay, so that's uh, point number one. So we definitely do not have proof one way or the other as to what the halacha is when it comes to the latest time for saying Shema. Um, we have other places where we that halacha is decided. Okay. Next part of the Mishnah. Next part of the Mishnah. We are one, two, three, four, five, six lines down from the top of the page. So we said, if you don't have time to come out of the mikvah and cover yourself up to say Shema, we said that what you should then do is cover yourself with the water and say Shema. So now we're going to ask, Doesn't, won't your heart see your nakedness? which would seemingly be a problem to say Shema while your heart sees your nakedness because they're both in, um, submerged in the water. So Amar Belazar, Belazar answers, And some say it's Rabbi Acha Bar Abba Bar Acha. Rishum Rabbeinu is saying it in the name of our Rabbi. That we're talking, that what is our mission referring to? We're talking about cloudy water and therefore your heart wouldn't see your nakedness because the water is too cloudy. Um, as we know, cloudy water is no different. This is very similar to as if you were standing in thick ground. Um, and there, your heart then is not seeing your nakedness. Okay. Um, when it comes to clear water, you could sit in it until your neck and then say Shema, meaning go in. Um, make sure that you're completely submerged up until your neck, and then you could say Shema in the clear water. The Yesh Omrim, whereas some say, Ochram Baraglo, in order to be able to say Shema, you have to first kind of muddy the waters with your feet, and only then can you say Shema, the Tanakama. But now the first opinion that says that you can just go into this clear water and say Shema, what does he hold? Doesn't your heart see your nakedness? So we answer, Kasavar Libo Erva Mutter, this opinion holds that your heart is allowed to see your nakedness while saying Shema. But then we ask, but wait a minute, even if your heart's allowed to see your nakedness, isn't your, isn't your um, heel going to be, be seeing your nakedness, which should then be, which is a, which is um which even if you feel that your heart seeing your nakedness is fine, your heel certainly shouldn't see your nakedness. 
So we answer, So we answer, nope, this opinion also holds that your heel is allowed to see your nakedness, and you could still say Shema in such a situation. Okay. Um, let us go further. Itmar. It was stated. We are three lines down in the wider lines. Um, third word on the line, itmar. It was stated. Akevo roes erva mater. If your heel sees your nakedness, you're still allowed to say the Shema. No gea. However, if your heel touches your nakedness, Abaye Amar Asar, Abaye says that you're not allowed to say Shema in such a situation. Varav Amar Mutar. Whereas Rabbi says you are allowed to say Shema in such a situation. Rabbi Zvid taught that same teaching, taught it as follows. Rav Rav Ika, meaning he taught it as we just presented it, and Rav whereas Rav the son of Rav Eka taught it as follows. No gea, if your heel is touching your nakedness. Divriya kolaster, then everybody agrees that it is prohibited to say Shema in such a situation. Roe, if your heel just sees your nakedness. Abaye ama asar, Abaye says that it's prohibited to say Shema in such a situation. Rava amar mutter, whereas Rava says you are allowed to say Shema in such a situation. Donitna Torah because the Torah was not given to the ministering angels. And we have heels, and we have nakedness, and which again is our is reference to our private areas, and therefore we and it's it's we can't be expected to just constantly be able to be covered every time we need to pray or say Shema or anything like that, so therefore that would be allowed. Okay, v'hilchasan the halacha is no gea asar. If your heel is touching your nakedness, then it's forbidden to say Shema. Roe mutter, whereas if your heel just sees your nakedness, then it is allowed, you are allowed to say Shema in such a situation. Omar Rava, Rava explains, Tsoa ba'ashashis. Again, now we're going to talk about um, more about saying Shema near different things. Tsoa ba'ashashis. If you have feces but it's in glass so it's it's covered in glass so you can see it but you it's covered however if you have someone's nakedness um that is covered by glass um you're not allowed to say shema by it so now why what what's the reason for the um distinction so um, feces in glass, you're allowed to say Shema next to it. It's soa bekisoi talio milsa because the um, the allowance to say Shema by feces is completely dependent on if it's covered or not. The hamechasya in this case, even though it's um, see through, it still is covered and therefore will be allowed. Erva whereas when it comes to someone's nakedness. That's enclosed in glass. You're allowed. You're not allowed to say Shema next to it. Why? Because the verse says, "Velo You're not allowed to see nakedness. Amrachman of the Torah says, "V'hakamachazin." In this case, you still see it, and therefore, um, that glass um, separation does not help um, one when it comes to seeing naked. When it comes to being near nakedness, um, in order to say Shema or Daven. Okay. Amr Abaye, Abaye explains, Tsoa kol shuhu, mevat um, If there's just a very small amount of feces um, 
in your vicinity, you want to daven, then you could just nullify it with by spitting on it. And that works. Amar Rava, Rava explains, Uvarok Aveh just has to be thick spit in order for that to do the trick. Amar Rava, Rava explains, Tsoab Guma, if you have, if there are feces in a hole near you, Meniach Sandalo Aleha, you could just place your sandal on that hole, meaning just stand on that hole, cover it up, Korikirishman, say the Shema. So Mar Bereidravina asked, So the Vukabisandalomai, in such an instance, what happens if your sandal is touching the feces? Is that a problem? So we answer Teku, we say, let this matter remain unresolved. And by the way, this word Teku is very interesting. We find it throughout the Gemara. It's whenever the Gemara does not have a resolution to the question. And the word Teku actually stands for Tishbi. Yetaretz kushos ubayos, which means Elijah, um, the prophet, will answer our questions. In other words, we'll find the answer when we will receive the answer um, to these types of questions that right now are not resolved when Mashiach comes in the times of Messiah. Um, so that is where we are right now. And I think this is a good place to stop for today. And we'll do the other half of 25b on Monday. So what do we do today? Today we started with discussing more about um, the feces and the urine and what at what stage in their um, degeneration are you allowed to then pray next to them and we spoke of that for quite a while. Um, and then we talked briefly about the time to say Shema and we talked about um, if you're not wearing anything, are you allowed to say Shema? What 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 needs to be covered in order to be able to say Shema? Um, and then we talked about glass being a separation. Does that work or does it not? Um, and that was um, a lot of what we did today. Alrighty. Um, uh, Shavuot Tov. Have a great night.